Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. But I do want to focus, too, on the Olympics. And what do you think about what's going on there? Yeah, we talk politics a bit. I'm not going to talk about uh, whether you prefer curling or ice skating. But there are certainly things to look at in involving what happened at the Olympics. Vice President Mike Pence met with uh, North Korean defectors on Friday. He's kind of using the Winter Olympics here as a, a way to call on the international community to go, go, go a little tougher on North Korea, on human rights abuses, on their nuclear program. And this is the part that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Pence was accompanied by Fred Warmbier. His son Otto is the guy that died after release from captivity in North Korea. Uh, Warmbier and Pence were also together at the opening ceremonies. That's where Pence sat just a few seats away from Kim Jong-un's sister, but they really had no contact, no handshake. Uh, they kind of turned the other way and gave each other the cold shoulder. So, so here's the question. Are the Olympics a big happy party with a lot of people coming together to celebrate the idea of peace? Or are the Olympics an event on the world stage where we can indeed see people like Mike Pence use the bully pulpit to try and get a message out there about diplomacy and about the U.S. stance. I want to hear from you this hour. 803-0930 is the number. Uh, during that meeting with defectors, Pence warned that there would be a charm offensive from North Korea, and he thought it was important, he said, that the truth be told. Here's a quote. As these people and their lives testify, he was talking here about the defectors that he was meeting with. As these people and their lives testify, it's a regime that imprisons and tortures and impoverishes its citizens. So the question is, is he right to be tough on North Korea or at an Olympics where the North and South actually entered as one big unified delegation of athletes? Uh, is the Olympic spirit about competition and, and friendly cooperation or did he go too far? 803-0930. Let's bring in Chung Hee back. She's a political science professor at SUNY Buffalo State, born in Seoul. Yes. And raised there as well till you were a senior in high school, pretty much? Oh, actually in college. Okay. So I came here to study abroad in my last year as a college student. And you have family still over there? Yes, I do. What do you think about the way this Olympics is unfolding? Was it appropriate for Vice President Pence to to take a stand, or are the Olympics something different? Uh, is he downplaying something that was really historic by having the two delegations together? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, while you know people talk about this as a, a sports diplomacy, and it is true, like some people say the Olympics or sports should be free from all this politics. Right. But it always has been a place of politics. Um, so for our vice president to bring um, Mr. Warmbier or to meet with North Korean defectors to kind of um, put down his, you know, put a stand on it is not surprising, especially North Koreans are doing exactly the same, right? What, would it have been hypocritical of the U.S. Mm-hmm. government to dislike North Korea up until the Olympics started and then suddenly be happy and cordial and, and uh, other, other than what they were? Well, I guess it will seem disingenuous to do that. Um, so in um, 
South Korea, even South Koreans feel quite divided by uh, this spectacle,、uh, so、I'm, to speak. I was going to ask you about that.、Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, the two countries haven't been together since the fifties. Obviously,、mm-hmm. uh, the two delegations hadn't marched together since then.、Mm-hmm. Um, is this truly a historic moment, or is it something that that they're kind of、uh, conflicted about as well? Yeah, it's hard for me to say. So、um, South Koreans and North Koreans,、um, obviously, since the Korean War, we've been divided into two countries,、um, and since then there has been attempt to bring North and South Koreans teams together using、uh, sports events. So, for example, in two thousand and two thousand four, two thousand six. Actually, North Koreans and South Koreans marched together, but、um, to play in a single、um, as a joint team as one delegation as one yeah, team. That's、right. the new part this time around.、Right. Okay, that's that's.、Um, is that big? I I think so. Okay,、uh, how big is it? Because to my mind, I almost look at it as a gesture, but I don't know if it's something that would lead to anything.、Right. Uh, can we say it's big, even though it doesn't result in any governmental change? Um, I would think so. I, I think it is a big win for North and South Korean government. So, South Korean government was really、uh, struggling with ticket sales because you know with the tension between North and South Koreans and North Koreans、um, testing nuclear weapons and ICBM, just. Who want to go there、um, during this game? So they were struggling with ticket sales, and there was some concerns, serious concerns about whether this will be a successful、uh, game. So that you know, for a South Korean government to bring North Koreans together and to assure the world that this is going to be a sound and secure, and you have nothing to worry about, I think it was a win for South Koreans. But at the same time, really now, see, I, I would have thought that the argument could be、mm-hmm. um, that it's a propaganda win for the North because it's kind of their moment. Yes, it's happening in the South,、right. but it's also their moment on the world stage. I I agree with you. I think it is a bigger one, win for North Koreans. Okay, so, South Koreans are putting on this、um, really expensive game. Right, the Olympics are known to be very pricey, and but it's North Korea who's stealing the thunder. Um, with Kim Yo Jong,、um, Kim Jong Un's sister coming as a delegation leader and sending these seventy-something、uh, beautiful cheerleaders,、um, and they are really stealing the show, and they are not even paying for right. it. Right? North Koreans,、um, North Korean government, Kim Jong Un in particular, is able to put on a show at someone's expense. Because the South Korean government is really footing the bill, they're paying for the trip、um, and also、uh, the athletes and cheerleaders. So North Koreans are not even paying for it, and you know they get the opportunity to up the game.、Um, so I think it is a bigger win for North Koreans, unfortunately. Chong Hee Baek is with us. She's a political science professor at SUNY Buffalo State. Let's open up the phone lines if you'd love to. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Eight oh three oh nine thirty is the number. Again, you said you have family over there. You were born over there.、Mm-hmm. What is the sentiment on the ground? How are they reacting to、uh, this? Is, is there anyone that says this is big enough proce-、uh, progress to eventually result in reunification? I think they're they are skeptical. 
and people feel conflicted and divided. So some, um, especially in Korea, with older generation who went through the war and went through the uh, post-war recovery, they they still maintain that sentiment that North and South Korea are a single country. It's our brothers and sisters, and some people still have families in North Korea. Um, so there is that sentiment that we are a single country, but younger generations. For them, it's always been North and South. Right. We've like me. I've never. I've not been touched by the word. I don't remember what it was like to uh, be a single country. So for um, someone who's younger, like me, or even younger generations, this doesn't seem like um, honest or genuine um, political movement, uh, not even a movement of peace, but rather it's a war of rhetoric. What would it take? Is, is, is reunification even something we should think of? Would it ever be possible? Obviously, you'd need you'd need the the communist regime to mm-hmm. go away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there are some different options of reunification. Some people say we could be like a federation, so North and South Korean government maintain, in a way, autonomy, uh, sovereignty over their own land, but we have a singular government, just like in a way uh, the United States works. But at the same time, um, I don't know if you heard the interview by the the coach. They needed a translator for both the South Koreans and North Korean players. We've been apart for so long. That the language has even diverged. Yes. Wow. So to overcome such a difference, even with all the political will and even with economic um, cost, the willingness to bear that cost, it will be um, a significant challenge. Now, you study political science mm-hmm. at Buffalo State. You mm-hmm. teach it to kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about the U.S. policy toward Korea with specific reference to Donald Trump. Is is the mocking of Kim Jong-un, is the hard stance in light of uh, nuclear proliferation, is the kind of things that the administration doing good? And I know that's a broad question, but, right. but but give me your sense of it. Well, first of all, it's hard for me to maintain the distance or stay objective. As you pointed out, I still have all my family still living in Korea. I have two sisters, you know, my parents, all my relatives living in South Korea, in Seoul particularly. It's not even... Um, hour and a half away from the demilitarized zone. For me, ultimately, I would like peace, even if it is a tangential, even if it is challenged, I would like peace. So for the Trump administration to uh, kind of rage a war of this rhetoric, the rhetoric of fire and fury like you've never seen before, that um, scares me. It might not be a perfect analogy, but I think of some of the Cold War rhetoric that then-President Reagan used Mm -hmm. against Russia. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, because of that, Mm -hmm. uh, because of a tough stance, the wall came down, and uh, we are more or less (laughs) uh, friendlier now, at least, than Mm -hmm. we were then. Uh, Can the toughness, can the uh, even the mocking uh, little rocket man, uh, the way he refers to Kim Jong-un, can that lead to something that would topple the communists? Well, many think 
not, because North Korea's uh, Kim Jong Un's ultimate goal is to become a nuclear power, and he is so close, or he has already achieved that goal. Um, so to play the game of such dangerous uh, rhetoric with a nuclear power can put the world in danger. I, I wonder about mm-hmm. that because part of me says you're absolutely right uh, that, that, that if anyone takes the other side seriously, mm-hmm. they're going to reach toward that button. But then there's another side of me that says these guys, yes, they have their own political points of view, but I don't think Kim Jong-un nor President Trump are really stupid enough to push the button just because of a tweet. Or just because right. he said something to me. I didn't like what he said, so now I'm going to throw a missile. Right. Uh, that seems so childish that it's almost out of the realm of possibilities for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that the risk is great? The risk of actually having a nuclear war um, might be you know, a little far off. But as I said, North Koreans and the Trump administration are playing a dangerous game the war of symbolism, right? Um, Vice President being with uh, Mr. Warmbier or North Korean uh, leader Kim Jong-un sending uh, his close um, ally, sister to South Korean game. This is a war of symbolism. And this, um, to South Koreans like me or the world, um, it seems like a dangerous game. And it's um, increasing the tension globally. Um, just now, we are two minutes to midnight, according to the doomsday clock, right? right? That's the closest that we've been since um, 1953, uh, when the United States government decided to test and develop a hydrogen bomb. We are that close. And everyone's a little nervous. And I think when you're nervous, and when you're in the heat of moment, you're prone to mistake. So, as I say, it's hard for me to be objective. But because you have ties, sure. 803-0930 is the number. Chung Hee Back is with us. She's a political science professor at SUNY Buffalo State, as you heard. She's got family over there. Enough time to squeeze in a couple of quick phone calls here, and we begin with John in Rochester. Hi, John. Thanks for calling. Hey, Dave. Hey, Professor. Professor, i got a couple of questions. I'd like you to address uh, the leader of South Korea, Moon, uh, whether he is politically way to the left and uh, you think he'll compromise so much with North Korea that they'll be funding North Korea's economy. And then my second part is uh, my fear with uh, the situation there is uh, the, the carelessness of North Korea and uh, China. If, if a threat did break out where North Korea was felt-threatened, they would they would rate, they would devastate militarily before we could act uh south korea and of course china if we invaded uh north korea china with millions of soldiers would uh, back north korea and that would be world war 3 what are your thoughts there yeah um i think john has a great point this is not just a tension between or political um tension between North and South Korea, but there are bigger players, more powerful players involved. China, as John pointed out, but what about Russia and the United States and Japan? So in July, when North Koreans tested um, their uh, missile, it landed 
very close to Japanese coast, mm -hmm. very close to a U.S. military base. Again, uh, it wasn't just uh, testing, is it? At that point, you are communicating your intent. So this is... This is just bigger than North and South Korea for sure. All right, uh, Bob and Buffalo, uh, we're almost out of time. Quickly, if you could fire off a question, we'll move on and get an answer. Okay, I thought that uh, the uncle was killed by anti-aircraft fire and the brother was killed with chemical weapons in an airport. And then mm. a uh, college student that just returned home uh, brain dead and, and died mm. for ripping a poster off the wall. Uh, I understand Bill Clinton had asked uh, South Korea to pay for uh, what they have today as far as energy is concerned and why we have the problem with uh, nuclear uh, proliferation. The only thing I'm going to say is uh, nobody stopped Adolf Hitler uh, when he was coming to power and uh, Jesse Owen, even though uh, he had a terrible life here at home, uh, went over and uh, showed Hitler that he wasn't the master race. If, if good men do nothing, then evil prevails. All right. A uh, quick comment uh, from you, Professor. Yeah, so South Korean government has assured many, many times that um, this joint venture didn't lead to any aid program. In other words, South Koreans didn't um, pay North Koreans to do this. But um, South Korean government has made a major concession in that it postponed the U.S. and South Korean military, joint military action. Um, so... I understand the concern. All right. We, we, we are late for a break. We haven't taken our commercials yet. Can you stick for about another 10 minutes? Sure. Uh, we'll, we'll have you after the newscast. Professor Chong-Hee Bak is with us. She's a political science professor at SUNY Buffalo State. Much more to come. Stay with us. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Good morning. This is Dave Debo. Closing moments here with Chong-Hee Bak. She's a political science professor at SUNY Buffalo State. Born and raised in Seoul, South Korea, and part of what she studies there, obviously with the Olympics in town, we're, we're kicking that around a little bit, talking about the United States' relationship with both of the Koreas and what might be earned, uh, learned rather from the Olympics or what kind of change at least uh, could perhaps spring from it. 803-0930 is the number. She's agreed to stick with us for just a little bit longer to clear out the calls that are on hold. Coming up after that, by the way, we've got an interesting case to talk about regarding political lawn signs and some of the restrictions that have been placed there. A case out of the town of Boston has reached the point where a judge looked at it and said, ah, this just doesn't make sense. We're dismissing it now. We'll talk with the attorney who uh, was involved in that in just a moment, Jim Ostrowski, standing by. But uh, right to the phones, more about Korea. Chuck in Chictawaga. Hi, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Thank you very much. I was uh, curious to ask the professor about a cryptocurrency, a borderless cryptocurrency, and how it affects, let's say, the sanctions on North Korea. I know that the Koreans really are into cryptocurrency, as far as I know. And I was just wondering what the, her intake was on that one. All right. What do you, to the degree you can comment, what do you know there? Well... I think Chuck brings a really good point in that it's not just a nuclear war that we are worried about. North There's Korea economics involved. Right, and North Koreans have been uh, surprisingly so efficient and, I guess, good at cyber war attacks and, as you pointed out, like other uh, avenues such as cryptocurrency. I mean, they've been under uh, heavy sanctions for decades and decades. Is that why they are involved in cryptocurrency? Because the regular 
paper money is something that so many countries have imposed sanctions on them because of or, or, or involving, rather? I think so, and as well as the cyber warfare, right? They were able to steal um, millions, $100 million from uh, nearby countries' banks, and you know they've been able to uh, find other avenues to get around the economic sanctions and um, bring the cash into right. North Korean economy. Frank in Niagara Falls, you're last up for us this morning. Hi, go ahead. Yeah, do you believe China used North Korea as a bargaining chip against Trump? Uh, remember during the campaign, the Trump tough, tough uh, talk about trade with China disappeared after the North Korean missiles suddenly started flying. And, and I believe Pence didn't help at the South Korean Olympics throwing a wrench in the peace process. He reminded me of George W. Bush saying, bring them on. You, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in blessed are the peacemakers, plus the... Uh, you know, the Silver Spoons never send their own kids to war if uh, things go bad like Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam. Mm. I mean, I can't agree with you more, Frank, in that... I really? Would, you think we were used in that regard? Um, I guess in one sense um, that, not that uh, we're used, but rather I really would like to see peace in North and South Korea. But North and South Koreans... Um, have been a place of proxy war during many different stages of Cold War. In the initial, uh, obviously, the Korean War, some might argue, was a proxy war between China, Russia on one hand, and the United States and the Allies on the other. Um, so, well, North and South Koreans are, some argue, that a place of really intense proxy war. All right. We, uh, we are pretty much out of time here. I, I appreciate the fact you stuck a little bit late. Uh, before we move on to the next guest, I do have to ask you, what do you think is the final upshot at the end of these games? Mm-hmm. Will they have changed anything? Or, or is it more, I think, as you said earlier, just sort of the PR battle? Mm, I do hope so. I do hope that this um, joint venture leads to something tangible, something meaningful. But at the same time, I am skeptical. We've uh, had these joint ventures in the past that lead, you know, that led nowhere. I didn't lead to any political or economic, social, even cultural changes. So while I'm, I wish um, I could be more hopeful, but I feel skeptical. But not necessarily <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate your time. This was, uh, this was fun. I was glad you were able to come in. Chong Hee Bak is a political science professor at SUNY Buffalo State.